My name is Andranik Eskandarian, and you are listening to Tim Melly Talk. Salam, Khoshamadi. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Tim Melly Talk. I'm your host, Artif Zahari. Glad you could join us. And for this edition of Tim Melly Talk, I'm really excited to be on the phone with Simon Allen, host of the Worldwide Soccer Podcast. Simon, welcome to Tim Melly Talk. It's really exciting to have you. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Can't wait to get the ball rolling talking about Team Melly. It's going to be a very exciting summer for all the all the you know the Iranians who just love their football. I can't wait for it to happen. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, and of course, pleasure to have you. And before we get to some of our other parts of our agenda, you know, why don't you share with the listeners, you know, what your podcast is all about? You know, how long have you been actually doing the Worldwide Soccer Podcast? That's, uh, that's, a good, that's yeah, that's great. It's um, I've been doing this podcast. I've been on doing podcasts for since 2005. When I first started, it was pretty much like a in America. It was a show called like uh, something soccer, and then there was the BBC, and then there was me. Uh, and then after that, the world of podcasting exploded, and I just sort of you know kept going. Uh, worldwide soccer is like sort of a, the final resting place of all, all the podcasts we've done. Um, and then I just want to sort of say that we're doing. I'm doing a new thing coming up that I really want everyone to sort of be. And I know I know a lot of the fans of yours were like this. Uh, during the World Cup, we're going to be we're going to be going to different restaurants and eating. We're going to go to a, a, a nice Persian restaurant. And we're going to be eating and talking about soccer as well because of the World Cup. So look out for that particular uh, show. But I've been doing it for way too long, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I uh, hope uh, uh, all my listeners tune in and become your fans as well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I really want the listeners to be checking out your podcast as often as possible. And of course, I know you're on social media. Where can all the fans and listeners you know, find you and follow you? Uh, I'm known as the Dalai Lama of Soccer, so you can just go to Twitter and at Dalai Lama Soccer, like the holy man. So, uh, at Dalai Lama Soccer. Thank you for that. Okay, everyone, you heard him correctly. The Dalai Lama of Soccer, so find him on Twitter, at Dalai Lama Soccer, Simon Allen. All right, Simon, moving on now a little bit. You know, of course, I could tell, like you told me earlier, you are from England. So, while we're on the topic of football, you know, and soccer in England, you know, what is your team that you follow, you know, religiously? Well, I'm, I'm actually from the Wimbledon area. I'm from Wimbledon. So my team at that, when I was younger, um, by sort of, not by choice, but by, by uh, I want to say geography, was AFC Wimbledon. And, uh, you know, there's a few moments in history when Wimbledon, you can look, Google it, were brilliant. Uh, but as a kid growing up in England, at, at that point in history, sort of everyone was a Liverpool fan, uh, and uh, they was, it was an, I think they still are the most amazing team in history of, of world soccer. So you just had to be, you just had to be a Liverpool fan. And so somehow I was grabbed at an early age, probably like three or four, I think. Um, and I'm, till this very day, a huge Liverpool fan. So uh, my background is uh, of very, very extreme European champions, giants of, of soccer sort of history, and then on the other side, a very small club with great sort of uh, hometown roots. You know, the interesting thing about Wimbledon is that 
you know, right now, I'm going down memory lane. I remember the times when I had FIFA 95, you know, the soccer game on Genesis. I remember looking at the different leagues. Wimbledon was one of the teams, and I found myself saying things like, okay, doesn't this involve tennis? You know, why am I seeing a team here called Wimbledon? Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, Wimbledon is more famous for obviously the tennis. I mean, that, I literally lived five or six blocks from the tennis courts, to be honest with you. I'd, and when I was a kid, I would, there was areas of, of, of the, uh, you know, the, the tennis club where we, it was unguarded. And as a kid, you can just stroll right in. And I remember many, many times just strolling in without paying, finding an open seat and watching tennis. So yeah, AFC Wimbledon, you know, is, is not a well-known club and Wimbledon itself is absolutely known for its tennis rather than its football but you know we'll see there were a few highlights of Wimbledon's uh, you know Wimbledon's storied history and, and I think right now if you're uh, in that area or if you tend to be a sort of a fan of League One football in England you know when AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons play it's something very very magical uh, apart from the last time they played which wasn't a really great score but uh, uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that in another time you know as we're getting closer to the World Cup there's all talk about, you know, who's going to do what. People go to different websites, you know, like online bookmakers, checking out the odds. And, you know, I'm not trying to bring up, you know, a negative point real quick involving England's national team. But what are your expectations for England going into the 2018 World Cup in Russia? I mean, especially after things did not go very well at Euro 2016. Well, listen, listen. I put it, I put it's a great question, but it's it's a question that's, that's been asked me a, a, you know a couple of times already. But I'll put it this way: uh, the last World Cup, you know, it, it, it came down to like one sort of phrase, and I'll give you that phrase. It was like, uh, yeah, England's going to win the World Cup unless Rooney gets injured, <laughs> you know. And so it's always been like that: England's going to win the World Cup unless this guy. And I think it's pretty much the same: England's going to win the World Cup unless you know. Kane gets injured, um, but in all seriousness, as a you know, as a fan of the Three Lions, you know, we're, we're sort of reserved to the fact that we have this sort of um, rabid passion. Like, yes, England's going to win the World Cup no matter what happens. But then reality sort of sets in, and then you sort of go, well, we weren't really expecting to win the World Cup. Let's just do a good showing and see what happens. And then when you know England bows out in the quarterfinals, or in you know, or in penalty kicks to, to Argentina or something, like, well, you know. That's a shame, and there's a lot of sadness. And then four years later, it's the same thing all over again. We're going to win the World Cup, you know. So I think we, uh, I think as most true Three Lions fans, uh, you know, would tell you, it's like, yeah, we kind of know they're not going to win, but it's always nice to sort of get caught up in that sort of tidal wave of, uh, you know, of, of positivity. Yeah, I get what you're saying there, and you know, the truth is, England has a lot of talent. We see that you know, every four years whenever the World Cup is coming, but it just seems like there's this extra pressure from the media. It's almost as if, you know, that no matter how things have been going, that, you know, someone is expecting them to win. Of course, when I say media, I'm talking about, you know, the media back in England. Absolutely, absolutely. That's just added pressure that really no no national team needs. So, but it's always there, you know, it's like, you have to, you know, when you're considered the, you know, the inventors of, of, of football, you know, the guys who made the rules up and put it together and modern football came from England, you expect to have more than one star over your crest. And I think that pressure is always there. Um, also pressure from uh, newspapers and media, you know, it sells newspapers and it puts eyes on, you know, glues eyes to the TV screen. So that, you know, it's not, you can't blame 
newspapers were saying that England's going to win the World Cup when you know you t- tend to pick up a newspaper and read it if you if you see that. Um, but also, you know, there's, there's the same amount of pressure in Spain as Spain. Same amount of pressure in, in Germany. I believe it's the same amount of pressure. You know, if Italy were going to make the World Cup, which they didn't, unfortunately, they, they would have the same amount of pressure there. So, and then there's also the, the weird kind of pressure that you have in places like the United States, where it's like you know you have an under sort of uh, you know sort of undercurrent of people who say, yeah, well, when you know when in the next World Cup, USA is going to win it. You know, and it's like, well, that even that little bit of you know. Um, I don't know what to call it, really. Even that sort of optimism is a little bit of pressure on the team too. So it's all around. And if you know, if if the if if uh, you know the players bow to that pressure, then they should really shouldn't have been playing to begin with, in my opinion. Yeah, excellent analysis there. And when you mentioned pressure, I think it's safe to say now that when looking at Group G, the 2018 World Cup, England has been grouped with Belgium, Panama, and Tunisia. I mean, surely a lot of people are expecting that should be an easy ticket to the second round for England. Yeah, you would expect it. You would definitely expect uh, that to happen, you know. I mean, I think that England has never played Panama, so you can't really go by any sort of historical um, historical things to say, well, you know, this could happen. Tunisia, I believe, uh, the last time England played, it could, it could have been either a draw or England won, but I don't think they've actually ever lost. Someone can essentially email you and correct me if, if they want. So yeah, it should be, and I think Belgium, for whatever it's worth, has some—I mean, literally some great players on there. It's going to be a challenge, but I don't necessarily think that it's going to be uh, a, a pressure-filled challenge like if they were playing Brazil or Germany. So you know, if you know, Deli Ali and, and Harry Kane uh, have a good day, it could very well be a one or two-zero victory, and they could be top of the table. But we've also known that you know the World Cup is a is a very fickle tournament. Folks who should be winning two or three zero could be could end up losing you know three three zero or tie zero zero and get thrown out of the tournament. So you know you throw out sort of like soccer punditry. The World Cup is only good for a certain amount. Then after that you have to sort of just wing it and see what happens. And I think England, you know, going in will be like yeah we're favourites. We're absolutely favourites to win. And then the first game they could absolutely bottle it and just not do well. And then suddenly the whole thing changes. And you know suddenly you have you know a team like Belgium. Trying, you know, vying for you know for a semi-final spot. You know, it definitely will be interesting to see how things go. And like you said, no matter what, there's always going to be that pressure. So with England, it's always going to be there. Nothing's going to change. And like I said, it will be an interesting tournament. And of course, when they play Belgium, that'll be a very, very exciting match to watch. And as you know, now as we're you know still on the topic of the World Cup, and you know earlier you mentioned you're excited to talk about. Team Ellie, and like I said, I'm really excited to have you on the show. And now the focus here is Group B. I remember the day when the draw came. I saw that Iran got grouped with Portugal, Spain, and Morocco. And you know, hate to repeat myself sometimes, but I feel like you know I said it more than once. Where I would just right away say, you know, how are we going to advance to the second round of the World Cup? Because you know, with Team Ellie's success over the years. You know, that's become the next goal. It's not just get to the World Cup and, you know, play, try to score a few goals. And, you know, things have changed. The fans want to see the second round. And, you know, my question for you is, do you feel like Iran has an outside chance of getting to the second round in such a difficult group? Um, yes, and I, and I want to sort of say that it's nothing to do with, um, well, I should say it's not all to do with the coaching and the players. I think the players... 
you know, and I'll, and I'll be very honest with you, I don't think the players are as good, and you know, I'm sure we'll get a lot of emails as, as the players that went to the World Cup in '98. I just think, I think the coaching is, you know, you've got a top-notch coach in Carlos Quiroz. I think that's, that's a, a win-win for everyone involved. But and I, I don't think you can put too much sort of stock on that. I think the best thing going for Iran right now is the actual timetable. All right. If you think about what's going on here, but the first match they have to play is against Morocco, and that is a winnable game, in my opinion. That is, you know, Morocco is not to be laughed at, right? I mean, if you look at their record for last year, and they did some amazing stuff. I mean, they beat the Ivory Coast. Um, I mean, they twice. Um, they beat, uh, I think, Togo uh, twice. Um, could be incorrect on that one. Um, they beat South Korea in a friendly just to sort of prove that they are sort of a formidable opponent. But I think Morocco can be beaten. And that's the good thing about, um, uh, that's the one positive part of the actual equation here. It's the first match. You get three points from there. And then after that, the second match is Spain. And if you can, and again, Spain aren't the, the world champion Spain. You know, they're not, they're just, Spain now, and yes, they got some brilliant players, and I'm being very optimistic for your for your audience here, Art, okay? But you could, you could if you could muster out a, a, a you know a draw or something, you know, let's say a draw, you got four points going into a match, the final match of uh, I think it's in um, in ranks or something against uh, Portugal. Well, I think is a stronger team than Spain, and you can probably get a lot of emails on that. You can you can probably. Imagine Portugal's already sort of clinched that particular um, that particular group. They might not go in there thinking they need to win, and you might get out of there, you know, in second place. I think the odds. I think if you know, just the the scheduling portion of it. I think it can be done, and I'm being very positive. Um, maybe as we get closer to the World Cup, when we see sort of changes in lineups and squads and stuff like that, I might change my mind. But I think. Iran got, in, in this particular group, they got lucky getting Morocco first rather than, let's say, Portugal would have to come out and just absolutely trounce them to sort of show their superiority. You know, I really love your explanation, you know, the timetable explanation. And yes, you're right, Iran will play Portugal in Saransk. They will open the tournament in St. Petersburg against Morocco, and then they play Spain in Kazan. And yeah, you're right. And, you know, this is a really good explanation. And I've talked about this, you know, upcoming World Cup group with many Iranian football fans, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here saying like, wow, you know, I have yet to hear someone break this down, and it's, it's really cool to hear, and, and like you were saying, the game against Morocco, I mean, it's safe to say, though, that that first match for Iran, I mean, that is basically like their final, and, you know, same thing for Morocco, both those teams will come in there, you know, knowing that they have to find a way to win somehow, some way, and, you know, when looking at the four teams in this group, I mean, do you feel that this might be a group that has possibly maybe the lowest scoring um, games? Oh, wow, that's a really good question. I mean, that's something that I haven't really thought about, to be honest with you, because, you know, whether it's 1-0 or 5-0, a loss is a loss. You mean, I mean, that's a really good question. I, listen, it all, it's all going to depend on who's going to be playing up front for, for, for Iran, okay? Um, and then Iran, I think, um, and I think one of the one of the coaches in 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 Europe, I don't know, I think what country it was, said that you know don't underestimate the, the the defensive power of Iran. And I forget which one. I think it was either 
Uzbeki or or someone from Kazakhstan, I forget who it was, but a, a prominent sort of guy in, in Europe said that the defense is going to is going to be a problem. That Iran doesn't have a, doesn't necessarily have a shabby defense, but they've got a pretty good one, and so penetrating the back might be a little bit more difficult for Portugal and Spain as they thought. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from Spain or, or Portugal. If they get away with a 1-0, you know, they'll be very, very happy, 1-0 victory. But I, I don't think it's, I mean, it, it, you know, it could break. You've seen, I mean, you saw what happened to, to Brazil in the final, you know, and they were just completely, you know, torn apart. That could happen. That's the beauty of uh, the World Cup. Do I think it will happen in this group? I, I, you know, I'm sort of stalling to think about it in my head. I really think that no, I don't think these are going to be too uh, too big of a scoreline. I think they're going to be very, very sort of tight, one zero or you know two. Well, I want to say two one or one zero affairs. This is not going to be barn burners by any shape, uh, in any way or shape. You know, I think Portugal's going to come out there in the last game with with Iran and go. Listen, let's just get it over with. We're, we've already qualified. Um, Morocco, for example, is going. To, I think going to have a hard um, hard time. Getting into the back line, you know, trying to get into the into the box um, and score against the Iranian national team. I don't think it's going to happen that easily. Um, I think it's Iran to actually win the first match. I think Iran can definitely count on their their, their, their defensive players, and then just who's up front to score a goal. And I think that's what it's going to get down to. So, in a nutshell, no, I don't think it's going to be any big big games. You're not going to you know, if you're paying fifty bucks for a, a, a ticket, you're not going to see five goals. You're not going to get ten dollars a goal at that point. Excellent. Like what you're saying there. And, you know, another thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, when it comes to checking out different websites, a certain message board I go on a lot over many years, is called, it's uh, from the website called PersianFootball.com. And you're always examining what other fans are saying, you know, always are, hey, if this happens and this can happen. And one of the examples was someone said, if the United States was able to get out of the group from the 2014 World Cup, when they were grouped with Germany, Portugal, and Ghana, then that same person said, then Iran can do the same this upcoming World Cup. I mean, do you think that is a good statement when you when you want to compare the teams? You know, United States got out of that group. You know, when looking at that group, someone would have said right away, it was Germany and Portugal, second round, that's it. But the United States got out of that group. So what do you? what's your take on that statement? Is to me is a bit, uh, you know, that you're stretching, you know, when you say, well, if they can do it. I remember someone once asked me on radio, hey, Portugal aren't that good because, you know, um, Israel played them and Israel were beating them one, you know, one zero and then they came back and, and I'm like, well, you can't compare, you know, you can't, you know, you can't just look at a score line or you can't look at a certain group. You have to take care of, you have to sort of look at everything, you know. I, to, I mean, to me, if I was sort of cerebrally thinking about it, you can look and say, well, you know, the, the Americans at that point had a lot of players that played in MLS, for example. All right? Um, and so there were a lot of, let's say, homegrown players that really were not well-known around the world. Well, you can go back to even 2002. Remember how, they, I mean, they absolutely destroyed Portugal with, you know, I mean, it was, and it was because, the, you know, the homegrown players, the players that they didn't know. Now, Iran has that sort of advantage. You're looking at like a, you know, there's a there's a goalkeeper on the roster that played locally here, you know, for the Blues, and suddenly now he, you know, I remember seeing him like, is that that's an Iranian goalkeeper? That's he's playing in America and in a second division. Now he's on he's on the squad roster, um, and you got guys who literally are on the squad that you might not really know of. I mean, I think there's a a guy playing at Ostersund, and I can't pronounce his name, but he's like 25 years old. He's a he's played double positions. 
you know, and I doubt if anyone outside of the, you know, the Iranian fan base would know who he is. And he actually played, he was, a, I don't know, you guys can probably email me, but I'll, I'll think about it when I, in, a, in a moment. He actually played for Sweden and then he played for, for, for Iran. I forget, uh, you know, he's actually Swedish born. But I don't think anyone really knows him and how well he can play. So the, the surprising part of it, I can compare to the United States. When the United States used to go into World Cups and used to go into tournaments, Folks didn't give them much credit. They didn't know who they didn't know who they were, and I think Iran has that. There is no, you know, there is no Ali Dai playing at uh, at Bayern Munich. There are no big names playing in Germany in, on the big stage. They're sort of spread out in sort of in, you know in you know, Greece and, and in and Holland and and also you know in, in in the Iranian league. So it might be a shock factor that will get them through and I think that's the shock factor that, that worked for, for, for the United States of America in two thousand and two and well pretty much throughout their actually throughout their actually uh the World Cup you know tournament. So I uh, long story short, no, I don't think you can compare it, but you can compare aspects of it. You know. I think for example if you ask the average, you know, person, you know, uh, what team uh, Sadar Uzman plays for, you know, who's probably, I think, the top scorer right now for Iran. I'm not sure if that's true anymore. They might not know that he plays in Russia. They might think he's playing somewhere else, and then they might not just do their homework and just say, well, he's not pro- he, he's, he'll be easy to guard, or he's not very good. He's not scoring in bucket loads. And that, surpri- that, and that player could surprise whoever that, that player is playing against. I think that element of surprise could be it. Um, you know, back in 98, the, the, the guys were well known. You know, they were playing in some top leagues in in in, uh, in Europe. This time around, they're not, and I think that can be played to the advantage. Yeah, you definitely know what you're talking about when it comes to Team Le. You know, the player you're talking about from Ostersen, his name is Saman Godus, and yes, he has been a definitely been a bright spot so far. Especially that he decided to switch his allegiance from Sweden to play for Iran, and a lot of Iranian football fans were very thrilled with that. And you mentioned Sardar Azmoun playing in Rubin Kazan in the Russian Premier League. He is definitely one of Iran's most dangerous strikers at this moment. He has not been he has not been having a very good season so far, but there's fortunately there's plenty of time for him to turn things around. But you know, even if he's not doing so well at the club level, he just has a knack for finding the back of the net when he puts on that shirt for Team Ali the national team of Iran. And, you know, when you mentioned the 1998 World Cup, you know, now I feel like I'm you know, going backward a little bit. You know, I'd like to, you know, learn more about, you know, how much you know about the national team of Iran. And, you know, when I go back to that 1998 World Cup, and I'm not really trying to necessarily make a big comparison of, you know, of how difficult the groups were, but even in 98, Iran had a difficult group, being grouped with Germany, you know, the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, and also the United States. There are many people over here, especially, you know, when I was in high school, many, you know, fans of the United States were already saying that, you know, there was no chance for Iran, you know, they were expecting USA to just demolish them. And I remember at that time that I understood that USA was favored, but I knew there was no way they could demolish Iran. You knew back then they couldn't that they they couldn't demolish or they Iran or, or or was it just in hindsight you're thinking that? No, back then I knew USA could not demolish Iran because I had paid attention to Iran the entire qualification campaign that they got to the 1998 World Cup, and I just felt there was way too much overhype from a lot of the, you know United States soccer fans. I I tend to agree, I, I, but 
I saw it a different way. I mean, I saw uh, I saw something that was a bit weird in that particular group of the United States. Um, and this is in hindsight. There was a lot of turmoil. I mean, Steve Sampson w- w- literally took out his star player for personal reasons. All right, and kept another player on for the same personal reasons, and didn't quite play. The, a, a team that I thought was was good, and he kept some players on that were a bit past their prime. Um, you know, guys who shouldn't have been on the team anyway. Uh, David Raji comes to mind, um, and some of these guys I know personally, so I don't want to say any more if, if that's okay. Um, sure. But Iran at that time was, to me, a sort of um, emerging power. You know, there were guys on the team that I think were already proven guys. You know, Mohamed Kakpour essentially played that particular tournament as a defender, not necessarily the best defender I've ever seen, and he was so good that they brought him over to, to the New York uh, Metro Stars, right? Yeah. Uh, Mehdi Madaviki, I mean, these guys went on to be legends. He was 20 years old, and he, he went on to be an absolute legend, right? You can't forget Ali Dai, who probably, I think, can go toe-to-toe with any player from 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 Asia, right? Remember Azizi, for example, and he was playing in Germany, and we, he had a, he had a great tournament. And I don't think anyone really outside of Iran knew who he was, unless he was following the Asian uh, you know tournament. He did so well that it was it, it was just like we need to get him over to um, we need to get him over to uh, uh, to America. So these guys were already sort of names. They, they were proper, I think, players. I'm trying to remember some other names that I thought. I didn't like the goalkeeping situation for Iran back in 98. I thought that was probably the weakest link, but that's just, I think, hindsight, maybe talking. But there were players there that literally had an amazing World Cup. They showed the world that it wasn't just a, a regional thing. And But they were, honestly, goodness, superstars. Was there anyone bigger than Ali Dai in, in, in Asia at that point? Uh, and I think that was the, the key. This time around, I don't think that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of names that could be up there with like a Bagheri and a, a Steely and a Diana Azizi, and I just don't, I mean, maybe your listeners can email you and say you're, they can give you their opinion on it, but is there, you know, is there someone comparable pound for pound on this team, you know, in, comp- in comparison to the 98? I just don't think there is right now. I mean, we'll have to see if the, the occasion of the World Cup, you know, if they rise to the occasion. Yeah, I like what you're saying very much. I mean, you know, like like you were saying earlier, there are probably going to be a lot of people that disagree because, you know, of course, the people who are always following Team Ali, they're going to come out with names like, you know, Ali Reza, Jahan Bash, you know, plays for AZ Alkmaar in, in Netherlands. You know, we have Reza Gucianajad who plays also for Here in Vain in the Netherlands. You know, Karim Ansari Fired plays for Olympiacos. We even got a very dangerous left back in Milad Mohamedi who plays for Ahmad Grozny in the Russian Premier League. So there are a good amount of names, but I see what you're saying though. I see what you're getting at. And, you know, you mentioned that you felt that Iran was a better team in the 98 World Cup. And I think one of the things that really separates the 98 World Cup team from Iran's team right now is that there was a lot of good veteran leadership on that team in 1998. I I tend to agree, but to sort of counteract um, what you said, I, like let, I'm going to take Madavikia for example, who, who at that point, you know, you know, just sort of followed him because he was just an sort of easy guy to remember. To, you know, like he was at the at the World Cup, he was playing, you know, in Iran, right? Granted, the the, the top team in Iran, I'd say, all right, or the top two teams in Iran, right? 
right sure. after that, his 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 um, you know his fortune skyrocketed. I mean, he literally went on and had a, you know a ten year career in in Germany. So yeah, maybe these guys in, now are playing in these sort of in in Greece or in Holland or wherever. I just don't think. Well, again, I'd love to hear some, get some emails from your listeners. You know, maybe you can share them with me. I just don't think there's anyone right now on the team. And I, I, I have to go back and maybe look. But I think they can sort of have the caliber to, you know, to go to play in, um, you know, in Germany. And I think a couple of guys, you know, ended up going. I think I forgot the guy who went to who went to Charlton Athletic. You know, and that was Bagheri. Bob, that was Karim Bagheri. Yeah, went to Charlton Athletic. I mean, he, he's become a bit of a, a trivia question. The first Iranian, in, uh, and I think he really is, but I think he might be in in the in the Premiership. But you know, that, they were good enough to play, you know, in better leagues when they were playing in Iran. Uh, and I'm looking at the team now. I'm going, well, who, you know, who is that? Who is that jewel that shouldn't like, you know, could leave, you know could leave Persepolis or could leave, you know, Estegal or whatever and go and play, you know, at uh, Crystal Palace or something. And I'm not seeing it yet, but I'm, the World Cup will change that. They're going to sh- definitely shine. And I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the, the guy's name that plays in, that played, uh, he was, he, had, he actually played for Germany, but you have to, um, you have to give me a minute because my memory's a bit jogged. Oh, Ashkan uh, Dejagah. Yeah, yeah, Ashkan, yeah, he played for Germany from U17 to pretty much to the top team. And now he's, and, and by the way, this is something striking, you know, Ashkan isn't with a team. And that's, and that's a guy that I think would probably, you'd want to, uh, you know, to essentially be the star player. I think mean, he could be the star player of, of the Iranian national team going forward. And he's not really attached to anyone. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know that's the kind of player you want—the guy who's literally played his entire life, you know, in a, in the top leagues in Europe. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a time when he was playing, I believe, for Germany's under twenty-one national team. There was also a time where he was basically saying he wasn't sure if he'd play for Team LA, but you know, of course, the song and dance went on, and eventually he decided to play for Iran, and a lot of. Team LA fans were extremely thrilled when he came. And yes, he's a very, very good player. He had a lot of good seasons playing with Wolfsburg. He even had a pretty good spell at Fulham. And yeah, like you said, he's unattached right now. And I think the problem right now is that I think we're starting to hear some Team LA fans saying that, hey, you know, he needs to get signed. He needs to play somewhere. We can't just have him, you know, just sitting and waiting. Of course, I'm obviously staying in shape. He's doing what he's got to do. But it would be great for him to see, it would be great to see him play. Maybe some fans are expecting that he should play in a really good league, but I'm already hearing the rumblings that he might be getting signed by a team in Iran. And, you know, even if he does, I'd say just, you know, play. Get to get your match practices in. Well, I'll tell you, the last person that wasn't attached um, to a club at, at World Cup level was a player from New Zealand. So it's not like, you know, it's happened before. And by the way, if to me, it, it does not make any sense for someone like Ashkan, who's had such a good career... To, to go back to Iran. I mean, I think someone who's really smart here in America, no matter what happens, because he's not going to be in, a, in, a, in another World Cup. This is going to be his last World Cup. If someone wants to really tap into the market here in Los Angeles, this is the guy that you'd probably want to bring in for, you know, an L.A. team. So I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, it's a good idea. You know what you're talking about when it comes to, you know, finding ways to get more fans in the stands, that's for sure. And, you know, while we're on the topic of still talking about Iran and, 
you know, I've had my opportunity to talk about this with other other football fans as well. And we know what kind of style Team Ellie plays under Carlos Queiroz. He's brought an excellent defensive mentality to Iran. I mean, before Carlos Queiroz got there, defense was always the biggest problem for Iran. But some people say, you know, under Carlos Queiroz, maybe sometimes some people are saying things like there's, you know, too much defense. We need to score some more goals. And, you know, it's not his, that's not his system. That's not his style. And so what I want to ask you is, I mean, is the best approach for Iran to keep on playing that total defensive football under Carlos Queiroz? Or is it also maybe that thing where someone says you need to take a risk? It's the World Cup. You know, you don't want to be regretting anything. I mean, that, that is a, you know, Carlos is one of those guys where you just, I mean, at that point, you got, he's not like a, you know, he's not an AYSO coach. He's a, he's a real coach. He's the real deal. And I, I, and let me just start on a personal note. Stephen Betashore, who plays now for LASC, you know, is a really good Iranian right back. All right. He's uh, you know, 29 years old. He's a very, I've seen him play. I've seen him practice. I think he's a real, like, and he's, he's like a local San Jose, you know, kid, you know, but he's, he's old, but he's a kid, all right? In Iran right now, we have Gafori and I think uh, um, a, a guy, the, I think the guy who plays in, um, in Belgium, two solid right backs, keeping this guy out, in my opinion. So, to me, if Carlos Kuros is, is essentially saying, no, man, we need two brilliant right backs, we've got another one in the wings, not even considered, all right, and that's, again, that's just, just my opinion, then you know, like rightly, like you said, that this is going to be a very defensive game. And if they can't score against you, you're not going to lose, right? <laughs> I mean, sure. So you could quite easily get three draws, get three points and squeak by. Uh, but then I've never been much for like the sort of, the, you know, parking the bus in the, you know, in the back and hoping that something happens in the counter. Um, I'd have to see what these guys do in the front. I'd have to see what, you know, uh, Asmoon does in the front to see if he can score goals. You know, you're telling me that his, his club form isn't as good as it should be. Well, then the World, is that. the World Cup stage absolutely changes that. So we'll see if they can do a counter. But I have a lot of faith in Carlos Quiroz. I think he's a, you know, I, I, I knew about him at Man U. I definitely... Um, have uh, known about him when he was at the Metro Stars. So this is not a joke manager. This is not an AYSO manager. This is not a you know a cheesy guy here. If there's any, if Team Melly fans want to get out of the, the group uh, stage, I think you should just sort of put your faith in him and say just do what you need to do to get us out of there and, and go from there. So uh, no worries. Personally, uh, I don't like defensive games that like, park the bus kind of games. I don't mind defensive quality games. Just don't like parking the bus. I just think at this point, you, you, you've been dealt these players and you've, you've done well. You've got to the World Cup. Do, don't, don't change it to satisfy the fans at this point. You know, go, go to the, you know, the quarterfinals and then, uh, you know, and then, you know, tell the fans, you know, this is, not, this is what I did. Just have your faith in me and, and then go from there. No matter what, when it comes to national teams, you're always going to have some fans who are a little skeptical of a coach. I mean, that just comes with the territory. But when it comes to the Team LE fans, yes, the majority of them, probably 99% of them, are on board and have their faith in Carlos Queiroz. And, you know, we're all just hoping that, you know, he comes to the World Cup with an excellent game plan 
And, you know, when talking to other people about the group, you know, people are saying things like, okay, Portugal, Spain, you know, that's too much for you to handle. And, you know, one of my first responses, you know, after kind of settling down after the draw, you know, after kind of, you know, getting worried, oh man, how are we going to do this? I just remember saying, wait, Iran's playing against Portugal. If there's anyone who knows how to play really well against the Portuguese national team, it's got to be Carlos Queiroz. I, I, I would go with, I would absolutely, absolutely agree with you there. I mean, and I'll, I'll put it one way. You know, the, the, the Portuguese, the Portuguese national team is not, um, you know, it's not taking Iran for granted, right? And the one way you can actually go ahead and, and, um, and, and know that is you can take a look at who they're using as, uh, as the practice matches before the World Cup, all right? If they're not going to, they're not going to say, well, you know, we're going to run over, we're going to run over Iran, and we're going to make sure we're going to trounce them. No, it, they're not shaking their boots. For, you know, don't worry about that. They're, they're, but they are taking it seriously. And one way you know that is because the, the pretty much the only friendly that they have scheduled is against Egypt. And Portugal is thinking that, you know what, and again, we, we know that they're a little bit different or sometimes a lot different, Egypt and Iran, but that they're using, quite, quite honestly, I think, a great um, friendly against Egypt as preparation for, uh, to, for, for Iran. And let me also add that Portugal, I mean, Carlos Quiroz can easily look at Portugal and say, if Ronaldo's playing, everything's going to go through Ronaldo. So if, if it's a defensive-minded match for Iran, all they got to do is stop, I know, all they got to do, quote-unquote, stop the Ronaldo or, quote-unquote, stop the ball getting to him. And they could quite easily, well, they could get a draw or they could essentially squeak out a victory. If you look at Portugal's matches without um, Ronaldo, there's a lot of free-flowing football. It's beautiful. There's a lot of you know a lot of people doing things that you know you literally don't know. You really didn't see them do before. But when Ronaldo's on the pitch, Ronaldo has to be part of every play. Ronaldo has to be part of every goal. If you just stop that service, to Ronaldo, and defensively Iran can, it could be it could you could come out with a positive result. Simon, I would just like to thank you for taking the time to join me here on Team Ellie Talk. It really was a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, my pleasure. It's always fun to talk football from around the world, and, and I hope you invite me back. I had a blast. Thank you. Definitely plan on having you back on the show, Simon. That's for sure. And, of course, I'm looking forward to listening to more and more of your podcasts. And remember, everyone, if you want to listen to more of the Worldwide Soccer Podcast with Simon Allen... Make sure you visit his website, simonallensoccer.com. Is that correct, Simon? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, yeah, go to simonallen.com you know, for you know, worldwide soccer. You know? So if you're in the mood to talk about soccer that you, you, know, we, you never really talk about, you know, whether it's you know, from Singapore or the U.S. or you know, countries that you don't know really about, come on by. You know, after you listen to Team Melly talk, pop over to Simon Allen Soccer. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about other stuff too. So, yeah, absolutely. And Simon, I definitely know now why your Twitter handle makes a lot of sense. Like I said earlier in the show, everyone, you can find Simon on Twitter. The handle is at Dalai Lama Soccer. Make sure you follow him and make sure you listen to his show as soon as you can. 
Simon, once again, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Team LE Talk. And like you said earlier, it'd be great to have you back on the show in the future. Totally my pleasure. Thank you very much. I want to just wish, if I don't talk to you before the World Cup, I want to wish all the fans out there of Team LE good luck. Go out there. Raise your voices high, support your team, and uh, you know, you know, just do what you can because I know that you guys are the, like some of the best fans in the world. So hope to bump into a lot of you, you know, in in my exploits around, you know, around uh, around Los Angeles. So good luck out there, and I hope to see everyone soon. Thank you again, Simon, and really appreciate the kind words you had for the Team Millie supporters. As for everyone else. Make sure you get to TeamLETalk.com as soon as you can so you can be updated on all the latest news involving Team LE, the national team of Iran. Make sure you find us on social media. You know the handle, at TeamLETalk. We're available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also find us now on YouTube. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this edition of Team LE Talk. We'll see you next time. Khodafis. <laughs>